Our reading today is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Uh, It is good to be here. My name is Wade and... um, I, uh, my wife and I are so happy to be here in the city. She's actually a, uh, she used to live here in the city in the Sunset District for a few years, and she's always happy to come back. We live in Hayward now, um, which I think is considered part, they, they call it the armpit of the Bay Area. So <laughs> she always loves to be here in what is not the armpit of the Bay Area. Uh, and uh, I want to express my appreciation to, uh, for, for your pastor, Chris. He's been a really good friend of my church, Indelible Grace Church in Castro Valley. We liked him. He spoke at our retreat a few years ago, and we liked him so much that he spoke the next year. So he did uh, two years for us, and he's been a good friend to me as well. We used to, um, uh, before my baby came along, we used to rock climb at the Dog Patch Boulders. You guys know where that is? The funny thing is, he doesn't look like a rock climber, but he is. So it, it was, uh, it's been good to just hang out with him and rock climb and uh, I've, I've learned a lot from being with him, so I'm so glad to be here. Uh, so as we gather here today, today is five weeks after we celebrated Easter, uh, which is the climax of the work of Jesus. He, the, the story goes, he came to earth as a baby, and he grew in wisdom and stature, the, the scriptures tell us. He carried out his earthly ministry over the years, and then on Good Friday, he was crucified for you and me, and three days later... Resurrection Sunday. He was brought back to life, conquering death forever. So as believers, if we call ourselves believers, these are the things that we celebrate. We celebrate his, uh, the incarnation, Christmas. We celebrate his crucifixion, Good Friday. We celebrate the resurrection, Easter. But there's one event in the life of Christ that we might neglect. And we know that he rose from the grave, but what happened after that? According to the Christian calendar, this coming Thursday is Ascension Day. 
This marks the 40 days after Jesus was resurrected. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the ascension. Perhaps we haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it, but just for the next few moments, I want us to focus on this really important doctrine that perhaps we have not given as much thought to. So we read this passage from Acts 1, and this is the record of Jesus' departure from earth. So now, because we don't hear about the ascension as much, uh, we, we, might think, we might be tempted to think that this is maybe just a footnote in the ministry of Jesus. It's maybe an asterisk. Uh, but as we look at the scriptures, we know, we know that this isn't so because the implications of the ascension are profound. What does it mean that Jesus left the earth? What does it mean that he's in heaven, and why does that matter to us today? So I have three points. Uh, I, I, I usually tell my, my congregation back in Castro Valley, uh, they're in your bulletin, but they're not. So my three points, if you can uh, follow along. Number one, Jesus is the king as the ascended Jesus. He's, a, ascend, he's the ascended king of kings. Our second point, that Jesus intercedes for us. And finally, that Jesus is the sender. So... I want to give us a quick primer on the ascension before we get into the meat of our time together. So let me ask you a question. I want to begin our time with a question. We often ask, who is Jesus? And this is such a vital question. But have you ever considered this question? Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Where is he today? And why does his location even matter. If you've watched the Avengers Infinity War, do you remember when Thanos snaps his fingers and half the Avengers, they just kind of evaporated into thin air? Uh, we might think when, <laughs> when just, I won't give you, I won't tell you the, uh, I won't spoil anything from the end games for you, but the Infinity War has been out for a couple of years. So uh, half the Avengers, they just kind of evaporated into thin air. And we might think that Jesus, you know, when his time here on earth was over, kind of just evaporated, uh, and now, that, now Jesus is just some disembodied spiritual being, but this isn't what the scriptures teach. So as we read the passage from Acts, we're told that the physical body of Jesus was carried up into the sky on a cloud, and Jesus isn't just floating around on space, in space. Now, as we look at the New Testament, we see that there are multiple references to Jesus being in a specific place, and we'll look at some of them in just a few moments. The ascension means that there is a man in heaven with a real body, with flesh and skin and bones and hair and fingernails, just like you and me. As we look at the ministry of Jesus, we see that he rubbed dirt into a man's eyes with his fingers, the, the same feet that walked on water, the, the same body that was beaten and nailed to wood. This is in heaven at this very moment. Have you ever considered that? To paraphrase uh, a pastor in LA, Rankin Wilborn, this is what he says about the ascension. The ascension means that God is not stripped of humanity after Jesus' earthly ministry, but now God is adorned with humanity. And in his humanity, Jesus sits on a throne. We're going to sing a song later, Crown Him with Many Crowns. And and it contains these words, Crown Him the Lord of Heaven, enthroned in worlds above. 
Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side, rich wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. This is the ascension. This is the truth of the ascension, that there is a physical man in the heavens. The man Jesus Christ as a physical being is occupying a physical space in, the heaven, in heaven. And this is what the ascension means. And this is really good news for us because in heaven, he, Jesus fulfills a role as a king, as a ruler, as a priest, as the one who pours out his spirit on us to accompany us and empower us as we live our lives as Jesus followers. So this is the primer. And, and now we can consider what this means for us really practically. So our first point is this, that Jesus is the king of kings. Now, as, as we look at the gospel story, uh, we know that a few days before his crucifixion, Jesus, he rides into Jerusalem on a colt. And this was the Sunday before he was crucified. And at that point, the, the people, were, they were excited. Do you remember the scene, if you've read it? They're so excited. They're throwing their, their robes down. There's cheering, there's celebration, because these people, they thought that Jesus was the one who would lead them in overthrowing the Roman oppressors with force and political upheaval. And when he did, Israel could finally be free. This is what the Jews had always wanted. And as Jesus, he rides into the city, they're, they're crying out to him as king. And this is something, a title that Jesus accepts. As he hears them calling him king, he says, I'll accept that title. And to do this was a huge deal because the only person that Jews should have considered a king was King Caesar. To do otherwise was an act of treason. But those around Jesus, as they see Jesus riding into Jerusalem, they're so certain that he would lead a forceful revolution that they were willing to publicly and very loudly declare Jesus as king. This treasonous act they're willing to do. Jesus, you are the king. But much to their dismay, in the coming days, it would be apparent that Jesus, he, was, he wouldn't be the type of king that they were expecting. As the story continues, Jesus, he dies at the hands of the Romans. Three days later, he rose from the dead there's no sign of any type of political upheaval, no, no, no sign of any uh, military force. Just for six weeks, Jesus, he, he continues to live among the people, not saying anything that would indicate any type of insurrection. But the follower, followers of Jesus, as we look at this passage, we see that they still have this hope. They're hoping that Jesus, they're going to give the Jews the nation that they wanted. He was, they were hoping that Jesus would give them the freedom that they had wanted for so long. So if you look at verse 6 in your passage, this is what they say. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus responds in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Translation, I'm not going to give you the answer that you want because the kingdom that you want isn't coming. What you want is a political power. What you want is a territorial kingdom. And you want it now, but what I'm going to give you goes far beyond what you can imagine in terms of geographic location and citizenship and permanence. Jesus tells them implicitly, you will have a kingdom, but it's not what you want. 
what I'm going to give you is going to be greater than you could ever imagine, and it's going to be a kingdom that I'm going to reign over. So as we look at the scriptures, we, we get this, a fuller picture of what, you, of what Jesus' reign over this kingdom looks like. So I'm going to read to you a few uh, passages and just listen as, as, we, as I read them. Psalm 110, verse 1. This is one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New. This is the most quoted pa- passage from the Old Testament in the New Testament. This is what it says. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. By the authority of the Father, Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. And then Mark 14, 62, Jesus says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Jesus sits in a specific place in heaven. And Ephesians 1, 19, this is Paul writing. He says this, he, referring to God the Father, seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principality and authority and power and dominion and every name being named, not only in this world, but also in the coming age. As we listen to these verses, they tell us that Jesus, he's sitting on a throne in a position of authority and power. He sits over every ruler of this world. He's the king of kings, as the book of Revelation tells us. And that means that the ascent of Jesus is more than just the king over the church. He's king over all the world. The passage that Paul writes in Ephesians, he tells us that he's superior above every principality and authority and power and dominion. Paul is saying his reign encompasses all things over all the cosmos, over billions of light years that we can see, over the very subatomic particles in this room. Jesus is Lord. He's a king over all these things. The reign of Jesus the ascended Jesus encompasses all things. And whether or not we acknowledge it, Jesus is king over us. He's king of First Presbyterian. He's king over San Francisco and the Bay Area. And one day the scriptures promise us every knee will bow before King Jesus. So if Jesus is positioned as the king of kings in the heavens, it means that his ascension is, was his coronation. As Jesus was ascended, God the Father was placing a crown on his head, the eternal crown. And this is God the Father exalting Jesus as the son to the place of rule and kingship that belongs to him. So that's the truth, that Jesus is a king. And if you've ever considered it, it's got to terrify us a little bit. It's got to bring comfort to us. It's going to do both those things as we, if that really sinks into our bones. If Jesus reigns over all things, Jesus reigns over you and your household and you in your workplace. There's a scene in the Lord of the Rings trilogy where the characters, they're talking about the state of Gondor. I, I don't know if you, there are any uh, Lord of the Rings fans here, but if you've watched the movie, this is actually, uh, there's something that happens in one of the movies. Uh, years earlier, there's the king of Gondor, and he's left his people, and he hasn't returned yet. And ever since his departure, the king of Gondor, or the, the king of Gondor, he's, he's been gone. People don't know exactly where, his, where he is yet, and 
Gondor, the land, it's been governed by a succession of men with the title, the steward of Gondor. Not the king of Gondor, but the steward of Gondor. And the job of the steward of Gondor was to maintain the integrity of the throne. They were to keep it open until the king returned. And over the years, there were some good stewards, there were some bad stewards. And the character in this particular scene that I want to set before us, his name is Boromir. And he's a native of Gondor, and it's his father who's a current steward. Now, his father, he's one of the not-so-good stewards. He's difficult and demanding, but there's hope because Boromir, he's next in line to be the steward of Gondor. And then Boromir meets a guy named Aragorn. And he learns that Aragorn, he might be the rightful heir of the throne. Aragorn might be the king that the people of Gondor have have been waiting for. That means that... Boromir, who was next in line to be the steward, he may never get the chance to sit on the throne, to be the steward. So Boromir, he comes face to face with Aragorn, and he, he has contempt as he says these words. He says to Aragorn, Gondor has no king. Gondor needs no king. Is this not how we sometimes think? I don't need someone to rule over me. I'm doing an okay job doing it myself. I'd rather live by my own desires. I'd rather live by my own rules than obey someone else. I don't want anyone to disrupt my comfort. I don't want anyone to challenge me or to tell me what to do. I don't want anyone to contradict me. I have no king and I need no king. As the story goes on, Boromir, he he gets to know Aragorn. They, they spend time together, they fight battles together, and in time he comes to see Aragorn as this strong and compassionate leader. He sees that he's wise and he's humble, he's a strong leader, and yet he's so humble. And there comes a point in the story when Boromir, after a battle, he's lying on the ground, he, he's about to die, and Aragorn comes up to him, and Boromir tells him, I would have followed you. I would have followed you, my brother, my captain, my king. I think this scene is such a good illustration of how we change when we get to know the real king. We're all such independent people. We, might, we don't like the idea of someone ruling over us. We don't like the idea of submission. But if we really get to understand the real king, the real Jesus, if we understand how strong he is, how compassionate he is, how loving and sacrificial, how jealous for us he is, how patient and wise and gracious Jesus is, how he would never do us wrong, if we understood this about Jesus, if we really understood it, would we not say to him, this is a king that I'll gladly submit to? And this is why the ascension is good news, because it means that there is a king that rules over not just the universe in general, but over us specifically. There's a king who rules over us. And if Jesus is ruling over us as our king, it means that there is not one circumstance in our life that he's unaware of. It means that he's orchestrated every moment of joy and every moment of pain. He presides over 
He directs our footsteps. He watches over our coming and our going. Jesus knows every detail of your life, and he's working them. He's knitting them together for your good. And if we understand this, if we understood this, what comfort it must bring to us that we're not left alone to ourselves like Boromir before he got to know Aragorn. The Boromir who says he has no need for a king. But if Jesus really is king over us, it means that there's one who with infinite wisdom and love reigns over you. This is why the ascension is good news. But I know that as we listen to this, some of us might have a question. Well, you talk about Jesus being a good king. Why does it seem like he's not reigning? Why is there so much chaos and uncertainty in the world? Why is there such suffering and constant defeat in my life? I think part of the answer is in the way that Jesus responds to his followers in today's passage They're asking for a clear-cut solution to their problem. If you look at verse 6, they ask Jesus a question. They want an answer according to their own terms, and they want an answer that they can understand. But Jesus responds with something that must have been so puzzling and frustrating to them. He doesn't answer them directly, does he? He says, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons. Is Jesus really on the throne There's a a phrase in theology that you may have heard before, and I think it helps us understand what's happening as Jesus responds to his followers. And the phrase is this, already but not yet, already but not yet. It means that Jesus is already reigning, but not yet in a manner that he'll rule for all eternity. Jesus is already reigning right now, but he hasn't exercised the full extent of his kingship yet. So Jesus' current rule in heaven is like his earthly ministry. There there are so many times as we look at the story, the gospel story, as his disciples are following him, as his followers are asking him questions, do you notice how often he doesn't give them a straight answer and how frustrating it must have been? Not just frustrating, but perhaps disappointing. Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. Tell us what's going on. And Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you. Jesus, as he does his ministry, he shows these little glimpses of power. He can raise the dead. He can heal blindness. Why not do that for everyone? And it seems like he's just teasing those who follow him. So the disciples we see in the Gospels, they're, they're... so often disappointed, so often, so often just confused because their questions are unanswered as they follow Jesus. And yet, the disciples, they continue to follow him. They, can, they kept following Jesus because they knew, they knew that he was worth following him. Do you remember Boromir or Aragorn? They learned that they couldn't approach Jesus as a genie or a guru. Jesus will never be that for us. Rather, they learned to embrace Jesus as a person. They learned to follow Jesus as the Lord that would often do things that they could not understand. So if you want to follow Jesus, it means that many of your questions will remain unanswered. It means that there will be frustration, 
There may be suffering and pain in your life. And yet your only hope is Jesus. There's going to be a day when we'll all know why life under the king was the way it was. But for now, we have to trust that the king who rules over us is good. There's a song called Beams of Heaven, and here are some of the words. Harder yet may be the fight, right may often yield to might. Wickedness a while may reign, Satan's cause may seem to gain. Do you feel that? Have you ever felt that way, that Satan's cause seems to be gaining steam? It seems that there's so much going on in the world that the fight is not worth fighting. And the song goes on, but there is a God who rules above with hand of power and heart of love. And if I'm right, he'll fight my battle. I shall have peace someday. If we really believe this, we would have such courage as we made our way through the world. And this would give us such peace, even when harder yet may be the fight. So this is the good news of the ascension, that Jesus is the king who reigns over the universe, and he is a king who reigns over us. Jesus is not just a king, he's also an intercessor. So a few weeks ago, I was involved in a little tiny fender bender in Fremont, and uh, it wasn't even a fender bender, I just kind of tapped the car in front of me. So I like to call it, not a fender bender, but a tiny scratch maker. So the, the, driver, the other driver and I, we exchanged information, and a couple days later, I got a call from my insurance company. And they took the statement, and uh, when we were all done, uh, I, asked, I asked the gal on the line, um, what, do, what do I need to do next? Uh, what are the next steps? And she told me, there's nothing else you need to do. From this point on, we're going to represent you as we talk to the other driver's insurance company, and we're going to figure this out for you. Now, at this point, the illustration breaks down a bit because I got an email from them the next day saying, we've found you 100% at fault. So uh, they weren't quite uh, what I wanted them to be, but I accept the blame. It was my fault. But as, as, as I look at how this insurance company represented me, I could see that there's a, this is a picture of someone else acting on my behalf. And this is in a very small way, perhaps an, uh, an imperfect illustration, that this is what Jesus does for us in heaven. He is representing me. And the ascension means that we have someone acting on our behalf at all times. So after the ascension, he, Jesus continues his ministry. Jesus' ministry is not done yet. Did you know that? Hebrews 4 uh, verses 14 through 16 says this. Listen along. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That's the ascension. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The writer of this passage, the writer of Hebrews, he says, hold fast to what you believe. And the reason is very explicit. Hold fast to what you believe because Jesus passed through the heavens. And in heaven, Jesus acts on our behalf as a high priest. 
The job of the high priest in the Old Testament was to act on behalf of the people before God. And over the years, over the history of Israel, the, the priest he would perform the, the priests of Israel they performed their job dutifully, but the one thing they could never do is they could never perfectly represent the people because, like all other men, they were sinful. But now, as we look at this passage, we're given the promise that we have a priest in the person of Jesus who understands completely what it's like to be a man. To be a human being with all our temptations and all our frustrations and all our pain and all our, conf- and all our conflicts. We have a priest in the person of Jesus who understands us completely because he became one just like us. And at the same time, unlike the priest, he lived a perfect life. So he's able to approach God the Father, God in all his holiness. And he can represent us completely because even though he was just a man, he was also, he lived a perfect life. Jesus continues to minister on your behalf. In coming to us as a human, Jesus brought us, Jesus brought God to us. That's the incarnation. And by ascending to heaven as a physical being, he's bringing us to God. That's the ascension. The writer of Hebrews, he continues in Hebrews 10, 12. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. We're told that Jesus sits down in this physical place, which means that his sacrifice is finalized. It's completely accepted. And that means there's there's nothing more for us to do to be accepted by God the Father because Jesus has done everything for us that's necessary. He sat down because his sacrifice was perfect. And it means that he's qualified to act on our behalf. And this is what he does for us. Even in this very moment, did you know that on May 25th, 26th, that Jesus sat down for your sake? Hebrews 7.25, the promise says this, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you ever wonder if God will listen to you? The ascension is good news because it means that we can have total confidence that God will listen to our prayers because why? Jesus is the one praying for us. Jesus is the one interceding for us. Even when our prayers are uninformed, even when we don't know what we need to ask for, even when we are full of ignorance, Jesus prays on our behalf for what we most need. He asks for what we should ask for. This is such good news because it means that we are always heard. The cries of our heart that we can't even articulate, Jesus is articulating for us. He's always praying for us. This is such good news, but it gets even better. 1 John 2, 1 says this, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. When we're far away from God, when we, when we really feel the weight of our unworthiness, of our filthiness, I think was the word used in the liturgy earlier. When we feel how undeserving we are, Jesus knows that this is when we need God the most. Jesus is our advocate. 
So if we came here this morning feeling the weight of our sin and feeling, I can't come, I can't approach God, Jesus says, you can, you can, because I am acting on your behalf. Thomas Goodwin, the Puritan, he wrote a short book called The Heart of Christ in Heaven Toward Sinners. The Heart of Christ in Heaven Toward Sinners. And the main point of the book is that the heart of the ascended Jesus, as he is in heaven, it beats for us with tenderness. With tenderness, the heart of Jesus beats. Jesus doesn't just perform a duty but he's filled with love and compassion for us. Jesus is stirred with compassion when we suffer because he lived as a man on earth and as a man in heaven now, he can fully empathize with our pains and our sorrows. And because he understands temptation, he's stirred with compassion when we sin. I need to say that again because this is such good news. Jesus, our high priest, is stirred with compassion when we sin. This is what Goodwin writes. Your very sins move him to pity more than to anger. His pity is increased the more toward you, even as the heart of a father is to a child who has some loathsome disease. His hatred shall all fall, and that only upon the sin to free you of it by its ruin and destruction. He's saying there is hatred in Jesus' heart, but it's for the sin that is destroying you. He continues, but his heart shall all the more be drawn out to you, and this as much when you lie under sin as under any other affliction. The heart of Jesus beats with tenderness for you when you sin. Michael Reeves, a uh, theologian, he adds this commentary. Where you would run from him in guilt, he runs to you in grace. In our guilt, we would never want to face up to some cold and pitiless God, but the tender kindness of Christ woos us. The tenderness of Christ woos us. And this is why we can sing like we sang earlier, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. The great high priest whose name is love Whoever lives and pleads for me, this is good news. The good news, the gospel, is that we're perfectly loved and accepted by God based solely on the work of another person, on the person of Christ who lived and died for us during his earthly ministry, but also now, whoever lives and pleads for us today in his heavenly ministry. The ground of God's love for you this morning, the ground of his acceptance over us is Christ's representation of us in heaven. Listen to these words from Romans 8.34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. There is the ascension again. Can you see that the ascension is shot through the New Testament? Who is indeed interceding for us? Now, do you believe this, that we in all our ignorance and rebellion and sin that will never, ever, ever be condemned? If you don't believe this, you'll always be fearful of judgment. But if you believe that Jesus is at the right hand of God, then you can be bold in approaching the throne of grace. 
If you believe in the ascension, you can walk through this world knowing that you're never alone, that the creator of the universe is on your side and he never stops working on your behalf. Right now, he's working on your behalf. I've grown up in the church and I've sat through thousands of sermons and I know for most of them, I'm thinking about something else and my guess is that there's some, <laughs> some of you might be kind of spaced out. I completely understand because you have anxieties and worries and conflict on your mind. But did you know that as feeble a job as I can do, there is someone who is working completely, perfectly on your behalf. He knows your name. He knows your pain. And he says, I am praying for this person. Listen to these words from William Barclay. Though now ascended up on high, he bends on earth a brother's eye. Partaker of the human name, he knows the frailty of our frame. Our fellow sufferer yet retains a fellow feeling of our pains and still remembers in the skies his tears, his agonies and cries. In every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows has a part. He sympathizes with our grief and to the sufferer sends relief. This is what the ascension means for us. We're never alone. And our final point, if you look at verse 8, Jesus gives his followers a promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. First Presbyterian SF exists to be a witness to San Francisco. This is the mission of this church. And it's not just the mission of this church. It's the mission of my church in Castro Valley. This is the mission of every church around the globe to be a witness. And this is so important. This church does not exist into itself. It exists for the world. This is so important that, that, that these are Jesus' final words as he leaves the earth to make disciples, what we read earlier, Matthew 28, and here in Acts 1, to be a witness to the world. That means that this is to be the primary occupation of every believer, to be a witness to make disciples of all nations. And if we understand this, this should give a new dimension to everything that we do, to our relationships, to our careers, to our budgets, to our schedules. The ascension means that we have new focus and new direction and new power. Listen to this verse from Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Again, we see what? The ascension. Look up to the risen and ascended, ascended Jesus. Seek the things that are where he is. Look to Jesus on the throne at the right hand of God and make his priorities your priorities. He sends us out to do what matters most to him, to tell the world about this God who condescended from heaven to earth, to become a man just like us, who lived as we do. And as we, follow, as we seek to follow Jesus, remember this promise in verse 8, that Jesus may be physically absent from us because he's physically in heaven, but he gives us something better than his physical presence. He gives us his Holy Spirit to accomplish his mission. That means that we're not left not to ourselves, but we have a king and priest in heaven who rules over us in love, 
who intercedes on our behalf in compassion, and we have his spirit to empower us as we carry out his mission for us. The ascension of Jesus is good news for First Presbyterian San Francisco. You are not alone because Jesus ascended. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are so uh, thankful that Christ is not physically present with us because the promise is that his physical physical absence means that we have the presence of the Spirit. And I pray the Spirit would make this true in our hearts, that we would understand this doctrine of the ascension. I pray for my brothers and sisters here at First Presbyterian. This church would grow in wisdom and in stature that she would be a witness to San Francisco, that you would empower your people to do your work, God. We believe that you will because your promise does not fail. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.